It is EGAT. I'm Kevin. Still feeling it. And that's Paul. Still very depressed. Usually we love to do this podcast, and I'm sure we're going to have fun today. But (laughs) what I realized when I started 89 years ago, Paul, in this industry is that, at least it feels like that, is that it's a lot of fun and it's so much fun to be able to actually have people hear your thoughts on the game. Unless it's one of those games and you have to rewatch it for your job. If I wasn't doing this, I would have deleted that. I would have watched the first half, deleted it right away, and said, I'm never thinking about that game again. But we have to, buddy. So let's just talk about the first half. I deleted that game with prejudice, <laughs> and uh, I'm supposed to rewatch it and rewatch it again and then write this really informed post-mortem at Inside Texas on three. Uh, you guys should go join. Definitely. And uh, uh, I got to say, I, I skipped through some parts on the rewatch because it got a little painful, and I just I knew the plays. Usually what I thought I saw was correct. It actually surprised me, but uh, hmm. yeah, man, I have to Despite my training as a Texas fan, particularly over the last decade, I was at halftime excited to thinking about how fun this post-game dissection on Monday morning was going to be. Yeah. No, I I was too. And I took Oklahoma in the point, so I was going to have fun just beating myself up, bathing in the more important thing as a Longhorn fan that, man, this thing may be ahead of schedule. And there's nothing better than a re with a rebuild, then, oh my God, we're ahead of schedule. Nothing better in life, right? Well, actually, some things. If you're ahead of schedule, it's not good. But we won't talk yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> let's um, reserve on that one. Yeah, I was thinking about like a trip, though, right? Hey, we have right. a seven-hour trip, and in your mind, it's like, man, we're probably like three and a half hours into it. And your buddy says, "Dude, we're two hours away." Like, yeah. bye, right? And it felt like it was going to be that, and offensively the way they exploded you get the block punt I mean everything kind of set up to where Texas had all this momentum and Sark was feeling it was in rhythm the defense showed issues that they were that, that were going to be glaring in the second half in the first half and when you rewatch it you kind of feel that when you look at the total numbers at the end of it and OU outgains Texas by that outrushes them by 200 plus which is so important in this game we'll get into the three Hail Marys and oh my god I can't believe he caught it balls which saved OU during this long comeback but at the end of the day if you looked at the box score and watched the game multiple times you'd say the better team might have won man it was it was such a big game, and I don't just mean the game meant, meant a lot to us. I mean, a lot happened in this game, and so it's really difficult to encapsulate it. Often you can watch a Texas game, and we were bemoaning before the worm turned last week in Fort Worth that you could watch those Texas TCU efforts, and you could summate that game in about three sentences, and you were done. Yeah, coaching would be one of those three words. Coaching, no offensive game plan, no flexibility, and then you kind of flipped a coin whether the defense hung in there or kind of gave up, depending on the season. Right. And you were done. There was not much to talk about. This game was about five different games in four quarters. 
And one of the games was the Texas Longhorns kicking the dog shit out of the Oklahoma Sooners. And one of the games was the Oklahoma Sooners kicking the crap out of Texas. And one of the games was them playing, you know, more or less even. And then one of the games was a game within the game of Lincoln Riley finally having enough of Spencer Rattler and saying, we're done here. And going with the freshman quarterback who comes in and plays like he was born for this. And then there's what the Sooners call Sooner magic or what we call blind luck. Or officials' calls. There's a few of those sprinkled in. Not the determining factor. I'm not being that guy. No, but, but if there's a holding and an obvious one on a tackle from a school that it's widely known teaches to hold and gets away with that, and it happens to be one of those huge plays, which is a game, a game changer and game saver, then yeah, you can actually look at that. Or when you actually do look at the play on replay and he and ran out of bounds on his own accord he runs out of bounds of his own accord and then catches a 29 yard pass and the officials take a good hard look at it and they're like yeah i felt like he was psychically pushed out by josh thompson i felt like josh thompson exerted peer pressure on him and they scored so, a touchdown and that was obviously really big especially at that point it was 14 nothing and i mean uncle mo was screaming orange yeah well all right this is only that's only one small facet of this game because the fact is, there were so many elements, and it's so difficult to encapsulate. So let's talk about the good. Let's talk about what the Texas offense did in the first half. Oh, my God. You know, we had said all week that because of Casey and what he's coming off of, and that goes with the offensive line, the receivers, all three of them, that the screen game early, get him going like, like a scorer that you have, and he gets to the line early, and you think this is great. And he sees two go through the hoop, right? And, yep. he, and he just starts feeling it. And what a great call to start the game off with. You fake Bijan. You know that they're just going to be all over Bijan, which they should be. And you don't go deep. You throw a screen where you give him a lot of room behind the line of scrimmage. You get a good enough block, and OU has not tackled well all season long. It was a brilliant first play, and, man, it got it going. It sure, it sure did. Yeah, Xavier Worthy, I've been comping him to Deshaun Jackson, and people are like, yeah, I get it. You know, this, the, he's slender. He's very uh, competitive. He plays bigger than he is. People are like, you know, Deshaun Jackson, if you saw him even as a freshman at Cal, you were like, whoa, this guy's moving at a different speed. He's next level. Yes. He's living up to that comp. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's not, he's not that sudden because maybe outside of LaMichael James – and Rocket and people like that in college yep. football. I mean, I haven't seen anyone who just had 105 on a 99 scale of speed. But Dammy's close, and it's a really good comp because Deshaun Jackson was one of those guys that, that they, you know, um, God, why am I forgetting the OC's name became the head coach? Uh, Tedford? Yeah, 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 Jeff Tedford, who was at Oregon, beat us, actually. Remember, he was the OC in that very – man coverage I'm gonna have a bunch of crossing routes that are essentially picking each other really bright guy and he got he got him going early kind of like Sark did I mean where you can use him not just as a downfield receiver screen game pitch game reverse game and I like the comp man yeah well look so broadly speaking that first half Texas scores 38 points they rack up 355 yards 
Bijan goes off with a spectacular run. Oh. The offensive line is blocking well enough. Hey, can I just say Bijan's feel, and we've talked about this, so it's not like you know we just saw this this game, but just reiterates how good he is at it. His feel for flow and when to cut back, when it's all designed right and he cuts back left with a spin move or a jump cut and then starts just kind of feeding different levels, man, that is special. It is absolutely special. It's a pleasure to watch him. Sark was dialed in. You said he was feeling it. Man, was he feeling it. And yeah. he clearly identified some things, running some motion, some little jet sweep action that was just clearing guys wide-ass open down the field. Now, Casey Thompson had not been hitting those throws. He hit the vast majority of those throws and, in fact, made a couple of big boy throws from the pocket yes, he that did. were on time that were fantastic. Look, you and I were critical of him last week, and we said we're going to go week to week. Uh, and he doesn't have the strongest arm in the world, but you can be a really good quarterback. I mean, we've talked, we think about some of the ones we've had at Texas. If you put the right touch on it, make the right decisions, and he was just fantastic. I mean, for the game, he goes for five touchdowns, no picks. Uh, missed Wiley on that early one, but there was not much in the first half that you can look at and just say, you know, this was wrong. I mean, Casey Thompson was fantastic. Feel good about him. Felt good about everything in the first half, except I mean, the there, defense. There was nothing to feel bad about. Yeah, the defense was starting to show some cracks. Oh, no doubt. No, no, no. I, I meant on offense. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's, no. That's the offense on all cylinders against what is – look, the Sooners were the tale of two cities, and we talked about this. They are a very good defensive front hiding a very exploitable secondary. Yep. And, and in the first half, Sark was able to use a lot of eye candy, a lot of motion, a lot of play action to get clean, clear pockets – clean looks down the field and don't overlook on third and short a couple of times beautiful little wrinkle we give it to the fly sweep jet sweep motion to yeah. Whittington and to Worthy around the end for seven eight yard runs that were wide ass open Paul that's the old wing back reverse whenever you and that, I were you're playing exactly right and, and you know right. what they the, were, the they, wing the wing back reverse side right? right the wing back reverse on third and short when people are pinching actually can not only uh just give you huge runs, but usually can get you third and two. And both yep. those, with Worthy and with uh, with uh, Whittington, were great calls. Uh, you know, really understanding kind of what Oklahoma's going to try and do, especially in down and distance. But Alex Grinch would make those adjustments. I think he made them kind of probably the last possession to go in the, second, in the first half, and then they obviously kind of dialed it up a little bit in the second half. And Sark didn't have answers. Hey, talking about that passing game, how about the – it was a good ball to Moore, the way he put it there, too. But the first Joshua Moore touchdown, you know, you've got first and goal maybe around the 10 or is 11 or 12. And I love the way he dialed that up. And then kind of flooding the zone. And when you flood, zo flood zones, you'll get exhaust that really open up. Draggers, trailers, right? This was actually the vertical guy, and it just – there was so much, so much concentration, if you go back and look at it, and attention on Bijan going to the flats, and understandably so, that Moore, who's running the streak, just gets wide open. Yeah, and you know, on that, it's like a, a, you're a jump shooter when you're the quarterback, and 
there's the perfect pick, there's the perfect set, and you get the wide-ass open 11-foot jump shot. And, and you're a pro player. You should just drill it. And Casey Thompson's looking at Joshua Moore busting wide-ass open. He's open by eight yards. Yeah. And he just has to get it there right. And he didn't overthink it. He didn't over, you know, he didn't put too much air under it. He just got the ball there and took the score. And you can say, well, that's a schemed up throw. That's easy. Yeah, that's what we need. Yeah, that's what we that's need fine. for Casey Thompson. Just make we the need throw. him to hit those throws. And that's what he did. Yeah, I know a lot of this was schemed up because a lot of his numbers were clearly in the first half. But he made he made the throws he had to make. No, no issues with Casey Thompson. Can I give you a little side note on something I do love about Xavier Worthy? Yes, outside of the kick return. Well, that was not great, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, look, he's a freshman stud because he believes he can make a play. He also had and 261 or 240 or whatever it was at that point in receiving. Yeah, that's right. And it's the job of a coach to say you are going to make a play for us, Xavier, but not on this kickoff return. 100%. And that Jeff Banks has done a great job. He's a real deal. But that's got to be – there are a couple things you can say right before a play. And usually it's fourth and short. Hey, loud count. They're going to try and draw you off sides during a timeout, right? And it's yep. also in special teams. Watch for the onside, which Banks did earlier in the year, right before. Yep. Told them. And they were waiting for it. And this is one of those you say, look, guys, we're fair catching this. Well, and five yards deep. Right. It, yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you can give the situation, too. Yeah. Well, so one thing Xavier did that I loved, and I hope this sort of attitude and chippiness carries on. There was a play. It was an intermediate play in the first half where he caught like an 18-yard pass. And he pointed and at he the guy? Stiff arms Jaden Davis into the dirt again. The same guy he juked for the 75-yard touchdown. And he points at him yeah. like, <laughs> bitch, I clowned you. <laughs> And, of course, I loved it, but 2021 me was waiting for Paul Bart to come by and throw a flag on that one. Yes, exactly. Yeah, let's not have these players experience any joy on the football field. Uh, but That was also a great route where he got him. That that was dragging across, and he just put the brakes on, and this was obviously the, the, the concept, and just flies back to the sideline. And when you're running those rainbow crossers, the DB is going to try and get depth and cheat a little bit. And he cheated too much. When he put the brakes on, it was wide open. Absolutely. All right. Well, before we talk about the second half, I want to give you a, an enjoyable intermission. And that's talking about our longtime supporter and sponsor, Gabe Winslow. He is fantastic. He and his team are fantastic at what they do. You can reach him at 832-557-1095 or go to mortgagesbygabe.com. Listen, the kids are in school. Things have gotten a little slower. Things have gotten a little more manageable in your life. If it's time for you to make a move and make that move, or you want to look at refining your house, we still have historically low rates. What you need to do is pick up the phone, call Gabe, or get an application in, and then Gabe will let you know when it's time to pull the trigger. That's the best way to do it. That is the beauty of going with a sophisticated financial expert mortgage broker and not just some nameless, faceless bank. He's going to tell you when to execute when it's most favorable to you as the consumer and as a beloved EGAT listener. He talks, and we have read a dozen different, uh, basically, folks raving about Gabe, and we have a dozen more we could read that we haven't. 
saying exactly that. So give them a call, 832-557-1095. And then Kevin, do we want to talk about the second half? No. I mean, if you ask it that <laughs> no, way. Let's uh, skip no. It. Do do we want to? No. Do we have to? Well, we don't have to. I mean, we can talk about whatever you want. Let's talk about the Astros. What You know, that game's getting delayed today, and it's 2-1. What do you think about the bullpen, Paul? You know what? First time in podcast history, I'll gladly talk Astros if it means we don't have to talk about the second half collapse that we saw uh, somewhat from the Longhorn offense, certainly, but absolutely from the Longhorn defense and special teams. We and, probably uh, should. We probably should. So if you look at the halftime score and what was the halftime score? 38-20? Yeah, 38-20. And then you and then you let's say you didn't catch second half and you're looking at don't even know the score, but looking at total offense. Oklahoma 662, Texas 516. Total plays, Oklahoma 81, Texas 61. And uh, that Texas defense looked worn out. They looked gassed. And they also fundamentally just turned into crap. Both lines of scrimmage. I'm not going to say that that the offensive line was fantastic, but they certainly did their job. Casey got some pressure in that second quarter. And they didn't pick some stuff up. And if you look at, look at PFF grades – those abysmal offensive line numbers aren't just second-half base. Some of that's in the second quarter as well. They got their asses kicked on both lines of scrimmage, man. And OU also made some spectacular plays. There was a little bit of luck involved. There were some no holding calls involved. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. But you outrushed Texas for what you did, 339 to 128. You know, 26 uh, first downs to 19. I mean, if you kind of go through it outside of yards per play, Texas Texas got their ass beat, and it's easy to feel the first half. But look at the second half, and that's why I said started it off with there's not much separating these two teams, and there's a lot wrong with both. But in this instance, a better team won. Oklahoma outscores Texas 31-7 to over the last 16 minutes of the game. Yeah. And – let me give you a little big picture context, though, because we have seen Oklahoma certainly in the last few matchups move up and down the field and score points, right? Yep. Here's the difference. The Oklahoma offenses that did that, particularly the, the latest vintages, I don't mean last year with Spencer Rattler. I mean the ones prior. They featured seven or eight NFL players on the team on that offense. And the quarterback was the Heisman winner. And, and the Heisman winner for a reason. And we're talking about Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray, right? They had four guys drafted off their offensive line. They always had a C.D. Lamb kind of dude or a D.D. Westbrook or some guy, right? Some, there's always some OU receiver that terrorizes us, right? Right. And these weren't those guys. So let me give you a little context. Texas surrendered 55 points, 662 yards, 8.1 yards per play, as you read. Here's the deal. Other than Western Carolina, which is the least of all the Carolinas, Kevin, <laughs> uh, that's the Catamounts, in case you guys are tracking that at home or you're, you're a Craig Way fan who knows every mascot. <laughs> Other than that game, can we put that aside and say that's not a real football game? OU faced... Uh, Tulane, Kansas State, West Virginia, Nebraska, those four teams are 9-15 and 15 right now. 
And those four teams held OU to 29 points a game and 385 yards per game. Yeah. So did Caleb Williams inject something into their offense? Yes. Mostly he stopped turning the ball over like Spencer Rattler was doing. And he obviously contributed that long uh, touchdown run where he uh, trucked a Longhorn defender and uh, put on the Jets, scored from 66 yards out in, I believe, the early second quarter. Was that Jaron Thompson who missed? That was Jaron Thompson. That said, we're not going to pick on Jaron specifically because you saw a second-level Longhorn defender either miss, whiff, or get trucked multiple times in that game. And it ranged from Brockermeyer, Overshone, Thompson, Foster, Foster at yeah. least twice, yep. and uh, Schooler. So... It was an equal opportunity situation where the run force, typically an unblocked Longhorn defender, absolutely whiffed or got run over in space for big uh, Sooner runs. About that Sooner running game, Kevin, do you know how many 100-yard games Sooner running backs had coming into this game? Man, uh, I'm going to say none. Zero! Yeah, Kennedy I mean, I, Brooks. I, I zero watched all their games. It didn't feel games. like it. Yep, Eric Gray, zero 100-yard rushing games. Kennedy Brooks had 217 yards, 8.7 yards per carry. He outproduced B. John Robinson. Listen to what I said. He's not better than B. John Robinson. But I'm telling you, an inferior running back with a not-great vintage OU offensive line just crushed the Texas run defense. Yeah, he, he he had almost two yards more per average. And once again, I mean, Bijan's a better player, but it goes to show you had one more touchdown, obviously had the more yards. I mean, hell, they averaged, even with Gray and Williams, they averaged 8.3, man. I mean, this run defense was just horrific. Before the game, the Sooners were averaging 155 yards rushing per game. That had been their issue. more than doubled up their season average. (sighs) Uh, No, no, I mean, it's, you know, it's – it's sad. I mean, if you would have told me what happened in the second half with the Texas offensive line against their defensive line where Alex Grinch made some good adjustments. And, and Sark did not adjust to his adjustments. PK and that defense felt lost a lot of that game and more than the first half, which is why I get back to those cracks. Go back and, you know, watch it. They were starting to, to you know, starting to feel it a little bit. Not just, obviously, the Caleb Williams run was huge. Cut that to, I think, 28-14. But late, late in that second half, or that first half, that second quarter, defensively, you kind of felt like maybe Grinch is starting to get a little bit of a handle. I say that, and Texas had that last drive, and I didn't think Sark should have melted the clock to 14. I, I, I would have taken a couple shots in the end zone, and you're still in plenty of range for Dicker. 100% agree. And, yeah, I, and I said that at clock the mis- time. Yeah, I thought there was a little clock mismanagement there. Uh yeah, I, I get it. I, I think I think you're right. Here's the thing that was interesting. As poorly as the offensive line played, and some of it was contextual, right? So what happened was in the second half, Texas got the ball less, right? They only had six possessions on offense. On multiple of those possessions, they lost first down. Yeah. Right? First down. They was had the a key. sack. They had a negative four yard run from Bijan. They had a penalty from Jake Majors on a second and eight that put us in second and 13. We were also deep in our territory. I think that affected some of the play calling. I think we got, we moved away a little bit. And hey, here's the truth. You don't have an inexhaustible supply 
of looks and little schemes and tricks as an offensive coordinator. And we kind of shot our wad with some of that stuff. It yeah. seems. No, I'm I'm with you. And yeah, they were in their territory. By the way, Majors had had two false starts. That should not happen on the center. No, no bueno. Yeah. Um, but the offensive line was garbage. But my point earlier was, if you would have told me the offensive line would have had the issues they had in the second half before the game, I would have believed that. It could have been the entirety of the game. I felt like, you know, if they played up to their level, the biggest strength versus weakness was the Oklahoma defensive line against the Texas offensive line. You know what I think of them. But if you would have told me the Texas t- – and their tackling's not been great. I mean, there are some games, Arkansas and TCU, where the tackles, missed tackles are way too high. But that they would have been run on like that, getting back to what the Oklahoma offensive line was, that there's just no way they should run – the way they did. And obviously to finish the game like that, that's embarrassing, man. Well, and from now on, we will no longer call it 50-50 balls downfield. <laughs> when a Texas defensive back is involved, it's an 80-20 ball, and we know who's the 80. Yeah, no, you're right. You know, here's the other thing, too. And I jumped on on post game because I was just still livid. And they've actually gotten better at that. You know, they didn't clutch and grab and hold someone and give an obvious 15, which is why I would set those up against Texas. They were actually in position to make a play. They just didn't make a play. I mean, you know, with their hand-eye coordination or ball awareness the last three or four years, I feel like um, I'm just trying to encourage a kid who's playing t-ball. What's interesting is you played t-ball, right, Paul? Yes, yes, yes. Right, I, I got the analogy. Thank gotcha. you. Uh, what's interesting is there's a degeneration to some tenured players on that defense that I don't understand. Um, we, we've, I've covered Keandre Coburn exhaustively. I'm not going to get into it. B.J. Foster was, was really victimized in this game. Yeah, he did get an opportunistic interception when Rattler threw the ball to him. That was uh, that's good. I was Stogner and and Rattler on the wrong. That's it. On, I mean, he, on a different page. Yeah. I mean, if, if Rattler threw the ball to me or you, we there's a chance we'd catch it, right? It's you know to catch a it's, ball. It's not not a spectacular play. <laughs> no. But look, B.J. Foster got manhandled in that game. Okay, I'm talking about OU receivers manhandling them at the second level. I'm talking about in one of those jump balls, Marvin Mims, who's not a big guy, putting his hands on him and basically winning that little push battle to get position uh i'm talking about a guy who came in as a true freshman and he's a he was like the prototype physical dog box safety who was fearless who was strong who played bigger than he was and over four years he has degenerated into a weaker less athletic player yeah he has you almost sounded like the uh, old police chief for beverly hills cop one is this the guy who was <laughs> jaywalking? Is this the guy who was thrown out of the Beverly Hills brunch? Someone put a banana in his tailpipe. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. But it kind of gets back to I'm going to trust this staff enough, and I've watched PK enough over the years. We had a postgame caller who meant well, made some good points, but also – just was pissed off like a lot of us and said, you know, I've already seen enough from PK to where they got to get rid of him. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. One, that's been one of the issues at Texas. They don't mm-hmm. get rid of people when they should, and they hold on too long. So 
or, or, or they get rid of him too quickly, right? And so sometimes we've seen to where no one gets a shot. PK has proven himself as a major defensive one coordinator, P5 coordinator, but he had a bad day. But I'll get back to kind of what I've been saying this whole time. I don't think the talent's as great as all y'all do. I don't. And whether they got a bump up in high school because they committed to Texas, which some may be the case, but more importantly, they probably were good prospects and they wouldn't have been misevaluated that much, but they are what they are right now. And once you get the bad habits and kind of who you are as a college football player at the next level, I mean, it's really hard to turn that around. And you can get a Bob Stoops in 2000 that just gets Roy Williams, who was a fat ass, into shape and coaches him up because the coaching was so bad that you can see that drastic turn. But with the offensive line, the secondary, the linebackers, they're not working with much. Is our defense – so, look, it is it is way too preliminary to talk about, you know, fire PK at midseason. That's crazy. I mean, you just – that's that's obviously nut talk. We're not going to even address that. But is the Texas defensive talent 106 in the country bad? No, it's not. No, it's not. So so I'll also say that, that what we've seen so far, he hasn't made the proper adjustments. I've watched his defenses at Washington enough that he had some liabilities out there. I don't think he had as many as he has now. And he's also adjusting to a new conference. And this conference is much more run-based funny enough right now now it's 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 presented as an air raid spread form but if you really look at the teams a majority of them and what they're trying to do they're trying to run the football at least first and Oklahoma's always been like that with Lincoln Riley so I I I I do think that is it is it that bad note but if it was in the 60s or 70s that wouldn't shock me look I mean Lincoln Riley, even in the second half, knew he had a defense where there were things that he wanted to pick on in the first half and didn't necessarily get done. And now he's got a guy who he can run with, which adds to their run game. I mean, they need Caleb Williams because against most teams, as you pointed out, they're not going to be able to get 8.6 or 7, whatever it was, by running Kennedy Brooks for 200 yards. Here's the thing, though. Caleb Williams only had four carries. Four carries and one was that you know sixty six yarder, but I think the threat of him adds to that a little bit. They didn't need to go to Caleb Williams. I'm talking about Caleb Williams more when they face a defense that that has a pulse in the second half. Yeah, they'll run him more. Uh, although they might be shy about it because Rattler, I got to think, is exploring the transfer portal right as we speak. Did you see? So, the, did you see the video of him walking off? No. Yeah, someone took a phone video, and OU players are celebrating the win, and he's walking into the locker room. Typical. Yeah, no, I, no. I've I've heard that about him. Yeah, going back to well, high school. I, you know, the Sooners have to preserve their quarterback, so that'll be very interesting. That that tension between what they choose to do with them in the running game. Uh, here's the thing: I hate to be this guy, that simpleton, because you know football's multifactorial, and there's a lot going on, and. Here's the bottom line. We got, Even with we got, OU hitting some really big downfield shots, some lucky shots, some of them, frankly, or you know, and a couple of them are athletically incredible. Yeah. Uh, it was, it, it was all that, by the way. That's okay. It can be all that. Yeah. It can be a missed hold the by the line. left tackle. If Texas, if Texas just tackles, yeah. they win the game. Yeah, no doubt. 
And not even and, good tackling, just so, just average. Well, like, if you're free up on a guy and you're one-on-one, get him to the ground. And I'm not saying that you uh, knock him out. I'm not saying that you deliver a Tommy Nobis hit. I'm not saying that you deliver a Ronnie Lott hit. I'm saying you put your shoulder pad in him, you get your arms wrapped up around him, you lock your hands, and if he drags you a little bit, oh, well, friends will be coming soon to help you. Yeah. And uh, hold on. Uh, if Texas does that, we win the game, and we're, and we're talking about the defense. Oh, we looked a little shaky at times, but they, they held it together. So the question kind of almost boils down to this. Who's responsible for that tackling? Is that a function of the players stinking? Because we did name multiple culprits who right. missed multiple tackles. Or is there something fundamental at the coaching level that they're not being taught? Or is the scheme such that they are having to break down in what too much space? Or they're doing it with uncertainty and that's creating these opportunities where they're not playing fast. Here's something you're never going to hear from a coach, but it's the truth here. This is on the players. 85% on the players. You know why I know that? Well, one, we've seen multiple guys that come in with good reputations and good tackling technique that may be even a little different, and we haven't been a good tackling team for years. They got a little bit better last year in some situations, but it's been a long time. So I'm going to blame it on the personnel. And I also watched a ton of Washington football like you did on the West Coast. I've seen Kwiatkowski's teams, and maybe that's all Jimmy Lake. I mean, maybe we'll find out that the whole joke, the whole ruse was Jimmy Lake is the genius. We've seen that before in football. But I'm going to trust that that Kwiatkowski's not teaching that poor technique. I think the guys were gassed. You get into the 20 more plays, and I think that Texas emotionally and you, you brought up earlier, probably with, with play calls offensively, blew their wad. And there, were, there was no adjustments. There was nothing there. Oh, you grabbed momentum and took off. But that's what I meant by average tackling. I mean, you know, a good tackle is you meet the guy right there, he's on the ground. Just hold on, and he got seven more yards. That's all right. It was giving up some of those huge plays, and then also kind of they weren't as space cadet but if you're in position to make a play, sometimes you got to make a play. And as you said on a couple of those bombs, Hail Marys, just shit, throw it up there. OU made some phenomenal plays. Plays they really haven't made this year. Well, football often breaks down to just the fundamentals. We like to do all the the deep level dissection of X's and O's, but sometimes it all comes down to fundamentals. And you know what? It's not much different in terms of a housing market or the kind of representation that you have in that market. And that's where Laura Baker from the Andy Allen team at Keller Williams comes in. You can reach her at 512-784-0505. You probably heard the announcement last week that Tesla is moving its headquarters to Austin. Not very surprising since they'd always already moved Boring Code and a SpaceX manufacturing facility to Austin as well. Other tech giants, Apple, Amazon, Oracle, Google, Samsung, they're all expanding their operations in central Texas. What does that mean for you? The housing supply issue ain't going away anytime soon, Kevin. And right now is the opportunity, if you're in the market to buy or sell, you need to get the best possible representation to navigate those blue waters. That's where Laura Baker comes in, and that's why she's so good at what she does. You can reach her at 512-784-0505. You need a realtor who has 
an understanding of the ebb and flow of these markets and also has access to off-market listings. And if you want to know more about that, all the more reason to pick up the phone and call her 512-784-0505. All right. Well, Kevin. I know she's great at that. I know she's great at that. Can she help out with the traffic with all these people moving in? She she is not going to be able to help us much with traffic, but she can help you find the house to plan to get you to Tesla or Oracle or Samsung and uh, tell you where to live so you can beat the traffic. So, yeah, she can help you with that part. That actually is huge for especially people that are moving in and don't don't have a lay of the land that I mean, I see people that that obviously bought houses from California that live off Westover, which has been our cutover from Burnett to or from Lamar to Mopac since we were kids. Right. Yep. So that's not new. And now that there's a lot of people here, guess what? A street that is essentially a just a heavy, high traffic roadway. So you didn't know that. You get Laura, and Laura would tell you, hey, if you want to buy this, we can buy it, but not at that price. And we're going to bust her balls because you've got someone who actually knows what the hell's going on here. So if you think uh, someone works at Tesla near the airport, that Lake Travis living may not be for them if they value their commute time. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But she's going to know areas. That's the other thing, too. I mean, she would know even more than we do because Austin has changed so much, even in 10 years, neighborhoods that have really grown and, and are pretty cool now. Well, you know, the coolest thing about Austin, this is an aside, and I welcome this aside so we don't have to talk about the painful game, but... One of the cool things I've always loved about Austin, and it was like this growing up, and it's only increased. You go to, I've been to so many cities in this country, and there's the good neighborhood to live in, and there's everything else. Yeah. And in Austin, it is one of the rarest cities I've ever seen in that whatever you're kind of into or whatever you're about, like your lake guy or your kind of Terrytown guy or your cool SoCo funky guy – there are about 30 different types of neighborhoods that you can live in that are just great neighborhoods in their own way and unique and, and com- really a neat way to live. And it's, it's just if you if you traveled anywhere else in the, in the country, I don't think most people appreciate how rare that is. No, no. I had that in New York, which was pretty cool. Um, but Austin has it and it's more separated. Chicago has that. But I'm talking about cities like that. San Francisco probably did back in the day, but I know San Francisco's unrecognizable to me now when I loved it. Well, yeah, and I'm even thinking about comparable size cities, not urban type cities, but the suburb type cities like Austin is, right? Right, and yeah. You go to Cincinnati, Ohio, there is the neighborhood to live in, and then everything else is terrible. <laughs> and it's just kind of, and I don't even mean like a bad neighborhood. I no, just mean Sa- it's like St. Louis is like that. Cleveland's like that. Well, I don't even mean like bad neighborhoods. I just mean like, no, it's, it's either just, this yeah. one cool, interesting neighborhood or it's faceless suburbs. Yeah, right? no, it's just generic as hell. Generic as hell. Now, Austin certainly has some of that, but, boy, there's a lot of interesting little micro-neighborhoods that are so awesome. Totally agree, man. Totally agree. All right, back All to right. it. Well, hey, what is Texas going to do to get back on the horse? You can't sit and dwell on the loss. you got to beat Oklahoma State. Sure, I here's can. Here's the encouraging sure, thing. Sure, I can. I plan to all week. <laughs> <laughs> Well, here's the encouraging thing, and you could shoot me down for being an optimist. Texas, if they can shore up the defense, dude, 
they can play. They can, they can play the Sooner team again. Absolutely. I I may put money on it right now. Now we're going to find out a lot this Saturday because we're going to find out just how resilient they are, as Sark said in the post game, how much metal they have, and we'll we'll find out. But yeah, I mean they're finding themselves in different ways, and I think Sark has certainly been able to understand his personnel better than PK has his, but. I've watched PK before, and I'm not going to put all this on Jimmy Lake. I, I'm not buying that yet. I do think that that he's going to be able to at least bring them, as the year goes on, to whatever whatever their ceiling is. And they won't play like that every down, but they're going to become more consistent. You know, we just we thought this defensive line was going to be a lot better than it was. I will say this. If you look at top defensive grades by PFF, Pro Football Focus, they do a pretty good job. I mean, this is don't take this as the as as the Bible, but Keandre Coburn actually had the the number one grade, eighty one point seven, followed by Anthony Cook, Moro Jomo, Ben Davis, who caused that fumble, and then Luke Brockemeyer. I was surprised to see Brockemeyer that high. He's gonna he, he's gonna have at least enough pieces to be able to hopefully make this thing just an average defense, which would be an improvement. But I I do just I do trust him. But that offensive line that we expected to be so good, they're gonna have to step it up, man. Because I do think the linebackers in the back end kind of are what they are. So Jacoby Jones out. He's gonna be out for a while. And on Jordan Whittington on offense broke his clavicle. It was clavicle, yeah. So that that's not good. That's a year, isn't it? No, I think he's done. Yeah. That's not good at who all. Steps up? Marcus Washington, who almost had a really big play, foot out of Man, bounds compared close. to the foot inbounds by Mims. Oh my god. I mean, you're talking about a half inch on either guy. Hey, hey, and this is what you hit the nail on the head. That's why there's so much that goes into this game. Usually you can explain a game and do it not to be too simplistic, maybe in two or three phrases, right? or two or three really points that you can look at. This one had so much. This was a game of inches. Oklahoma had two penalties called on them. That's a joke. Um, by the way, holding? that Texas got away with three or four that I saw in the first half. Not called. Oklahoma got away with about five in the second half, which is what they do. And two on two huge plays. You got you to gotta call that. Game of inches. That, Texas didn't make plays. Game of uh, two halves. You've got the the stagnant point that you can throw in there, too, where Texas could have had some separation. The Deshaun Jameson strip, knee just down, getting back to game of inches. This had everything. Every component you can think of with a football game went into this. There was just too much on the Oklahoma part of the recipe. I think that's a great summation. The The game was so big, it's you can't offer this sort of pithy summation. People are trying to do the Texas choked, and it's like, well, I mean – you could characterize it that way. I, I get it. I understand. You got outscored 31-7 to 7 down the stretch. But the points you score at the beginning of the game count two on the scoreboard. Right. So, yes, Texas did not deliver. You fumble the late kickoff. You, you give Texas – I mean, OU scored basically twice on those drives on untouched direct snap misdirection play that, you know, obviously befuddled us at levels that we can't fathom. Like – a Labrador in the park, when you do the little tennis ball pump fake, <laughs> they're, they're not going to react stronger than what you saw the Texas defenders do to, to, that, to that little uh, misdirection play. But, I, I mean, just 
there were so many small little things that could have altered the outcome of the game. We'd be singing a very different narrative about a program changing win and the worm is turned and now OU's in disarray because they benched Rattler and now they're relying on a freshman. I, I will say, as just a, a tangent, it is disappointing to me that Kwiatkowski couldn't turn over a freshman quarterback inserted in the middle of the, the, the Red River shootout when – According to every Texas fan who was there, the crowd was absolutely awesome and going nuts on both sides on for both fan bases. Yeah, no, I I heard it was fantastic, and I believe that. Yeah, I mean, a little surprised on that. I think Lincoln took care of him to some degree, and then also you've got, if you look at it, I mean, the balls he, you know, a lot of the balls he completed ended up being – you know, I mean, there was a Hail Mary aspect to it. I mean, he was 25, so, yeah, there were other completions in there, and he goes for 225. But, yeah, he ends up turning over Rattler and doesn't turn over Caleb Williams. Williams is going to be really good, but defense has no excuse on this one outside of PK didn't do his job and got his ass whipped, and they're not that talented on defense. And they're, so, not, and they're not as deep as, as you may think, especially when Jacoby Jones goes down. I mean – Outside, you know, Alfred Collins in the first half. Overshone made some really good plays in the first half, but then ended up kind of falling off a little bit. Yeah, it was that one, like, little counter. It feels like there's always some little wrinkle offensively with the run game throughout our lifetime in the last 20 years that it's just befuddled Texas. Yeah, whether it's the zone read with Quentin Griffin. Right. Or, you know, it was a weird, a weird little precursor to that play. It's a different play, but it's some sim- it's it's exploiting some similar fundamentals. Remember that little rice pitch that we talked about that rice ran against us before they got blown out? Uh yes. Oh yeah. No, yeah, D- so, just the old middle school toss it back to him, let him pick a lane. Well, but it's designed to go up up the field. It's supposed to look right. like a sweep. It but looks it's designed to go up the field. It looks horizontal a, but there, it's vertical. There was an element of that to that little OU direct snap misdirection. Not the same play. But I almost wonder if Lincoln Riley Good call. pulled that out after seeing that against Rice. Good call. I, I hadn't thought of that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I see I see the same concept that you're you're building off of because that clearly – I mean, what that did is it got Overshone to run himself out of a play, and Overshone's the only linebacker, only second-level guy I'd be worried about. And the first-level guys just have not been, not been nearly as consistent. I mean, a Jomo would probably probably be that guy – um, Jaron Thompson had the lowest defensive rating, followed by Ray Thornton, Baron Sorrell, Jacoby Jones, and B.J. Foster. So there's your B.J. point. Um, yeah, I I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm giving the coaching staff too much rope here, and that could be the case. I'm clearly not pleased with what I've seen from P.K. here, but I've seen him a lot, and I think when he gets some of his more guys in there, that they, they just were fundamentally sound at Washington. They didn't look like this, man. Yeah, I, I like your optimism, and um, I hope to see it happen through the course of the year. There's a good chance to show some improvement against Oklahoma State. They're ranked 12th in the country. If, if you watch them play, certainly they keep winning to their credit, uh, and they've been beset by injuries. There's no question about that. But Spencer Sanders, boy, he, he is a talented guy who wants to turn the ball over, and – on defense, they've sort of held up, but they're not exactly great shakes anywhere. Uh, they certainly have run the ball pretty effectively because that's all they've been able to do. 
what what do we think about Oklahoma State and, and does Texas have a good chance to get back on the 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 win column against the Cowboys on Saturday? You better bring your britches, boys, because they will run the football and run a lot. This is kind of a different different Oklahoma State team. They want to rely on the run and they'll run that kid like Jamal Lewis in in early two thousand when the NFL was almost unwatchable. It was you know thirty one carries yards. It's like oh my god, that's disgusting. Um, they, they will run his ass. You're right about Spencer Sanders. He's a turnover waiting to happen. It really depends on which Spencer Sanders we, we see show up. So early on, I'll, I'll be kind of feeling his temperature to see where it's there. They've got a pretty good secondary. They've, I mean, their, their defense isn't great, but it's pretty good. And so, but it, that's not my worry with Sark. I mean, I think Sark will be able to dial stuff up. You just obviously always worry about the offensive line and then, can the run defense get a lot better? That that has to show up. If they show up, Texas wins. If Texas gives up a bunch of rushing yards against a team you know just wants to run the ball, is that is that starting to become more of a coaching issue than a player issue? Because you can stop the run with enough bodies yeah. and enough emphasis. Yeah, right? it could be. I mean, I'd, I'd have to see the game. And there are some yeah. – Obvious coaching mistakes against OU, but as we said, everything was in there. There was a lack of toughness. There was a lack of of just fundamentals and technique with tackling and angles. I mean, it it was all bad to where, I mean, I would certainly call out all of them. So when I said that it's more on the players, yeah, I mean, I do think I do think it is. But PK had an awful day. I'm not not trying to get around that at all. No, no, I, I get it. I'm just, I'm just trying to make sense of it like everybody. I am and too, and I don't know. I don't have the answer. I mean, it's obviously a combination of both. The question is, and at the end of the day, it is up to PK, even if he's got less talent than the Texas fans would think as they're looking at their 2017 um, high school ranking, that it's still up to him. It's up to the coach to recognize your deficiencies and what you don't have. And I said, you know, preseason, Paul, I said – I think Sark and PK in their career, maybe maybe not PK, maybe there was a year at Boise State or that first year at Washington, but it's going to be right there where you're going to have to be as creative and as fluid as you've been as a coordinator. And same thing with Sark. And with Sark, I was thinking about questioning the outside talent. Xavier Worthy has stepped up. Josh Moore looks better. You know, we'll see with Whittington, but who'll make guys stars? It was about the offensive line. With the defense, it was honestly about the linebackers and secondary, but now you've got a defensive line that certainly surprised him. There's no way he stays in too high look against Arkansas as long as he did if he wasn't waiting for that defensive line to make some off-schedule plays. Well, you know, can we switch uh, switch horses, switch uh, conversations here for one moment? Yeah, go for it. NFL. I don't know. Have, so we have mused about this a little bit, and I've asked the question – why is it these toolsy quarterbacks who weren't necessarily great guns in college or seemed protected in their system or, or played for a bad team but had physical tools but they weren't accurate or they seemed to have something off about them? Have you been following what Herbert and, of course, Josh Allen are doing in the NFL right now? Oh, it's it's unbelievable. I, I, I was, I was wrong, totally wrong on Josh Allen. I was on Herbert pretty early at Oregon. But even that senior year, like, and this is where you can, you know, look too much into watching someone on TV and their facial expressions. 
um, or just hearing them in a couple interviews. But I was like, you know, he may need some time. He just seems emotionally immature. And he jumps in there with Taylor with that whole freak thing last year and just took off. I mean, he he is making some throws to where on certain throws, he's the best quarterback in the league right now. Well, and what's and crazy, Josh Allen yes. is Josh Allen is nuts. I didn't think Allen with the what fifty six percent completion percentage or fifty eight at Wyoming. I mean, the fact that he has turned into what he has, he's so damn athletic. He's made some incredible throws. Yes, to answer your long winded answer, I'm in love with both guys. Yeah, and I am too. And something has changed in football, Kevin, because you and I have watched and studied the game, and we know, particularly Josh Allen, that guy was. Oh God, Buffalo! He, he can his arm will rip through the wind. I'm like, that's why you're drafting this guy. I thought it was such a stupid pick. Well, it, but we've seen so many Josh Allens. That that's failed. why. That's why they were drafted based on their tools. And it's like, hey, being a quarterback is about more than your raw tools. Right. Well, guess what? Josh Allen gets to Buffalo, and not only is the guy like a complete stud and competitor, and by the way, like physical as hell running the ball, he's basically a white Cam Newton. He makes great decisions. He's got a freaking gun, and he's accurate. Yes. He's unbelievable. And he knows when to put touch on there. No, I mean, that that's exactly why with Allen. And it was, well, 99.9% of the time, this guy with low completion percentage, smaller school where that should be mid-high 60s, and just, just the strong arm. He's toolsy. Man, that's Ryan Mallett. That's uh, Dan McGuire. That is Jamarcus Russell. We, we've got a long list of those guys, and most of them didn't live up to it. Achilles Smith? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, so look, it might be Josh Allen in specific. He was just that raw, that untapped, and he needed coaching. But something I think has changed in football that's allowing a guy like him to, to show what they can do just in terms of raw ability, and obviously it's channeled, right? He's he's making great decisions. He's accurate. I don't know. I just I just I, saw, I feel like something I'll tell you what it is. Football. I'll tell you what it is. Obviously, the rule changes have helped out the offense so much that sure. that, that one you can get speedier guys on the field because they don't get mugged at the line of scrimmage. They can't, even though that that's still you're still allowed the jam. I mean, these guys would get destroyed ten yards, right? past the line of scrimmage back in the day. I mean, you remember that? I mean, it, it was it was a it was like a wrestling match for seven or eight yards and they would let that shit go. The clutching, all that. So you've got different athletes that 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 really change how you can throw the football. But the main thing is you're seeing more coaches now that are more creative that do exactly what we're trying to talk about that we we're talking about with PK and that Sark is doing. And that is working around your talent. And it used to be all right, here's our system. We're going to draft this guy, and even if it's a weakness, we're going to just throw him in there and say, this is what we do. And now it's working around guys' talents. And Josh Allen, though, I'll say this, you got a lot to work with. I just did not think he would be that complete this early. And, and you know, Herbert can run too, actually. Not like Allen, but he can run. Yeah, big, big, strong, athletic guys. And uh, I don't know. It's just interesting. It's an interesting aside. It's also you get into these counterfactuals. People always want to talk about Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and Patriots and who made who and why they were perfect for each other, all that. You know, there's some of that with Patrick Mahomes. Plenty of, of crappy NFL organizations 
that if they had drafted him at his true potential, I don't think we'd be talking about Patrick Mahomes on a Wheaties box. You'd be talking about Patrick Mahomes, the crazy guy who makes big plays and throw crazy, you know, crazy interceptions all the time. Yeah, that's a good point. Very good point. Hey, let me tell you about our buddy David McClellan. David is a fiduciary financial consultant, uh, financial advisor. Sorry, you can tell my dad did this for a living. I had to change that name my whole life. It was like, what does your dad do? He's a stockbroker. Now he's a money manager. Now he's a financial consultant. Now he's a financial advisor. Just went all over the place. Uh, David, though, is a fiduciary financial advisor from Form Financial, and he's he's just got a lot of time in the business, which is great, but he's also one of those forward thinkers, so that's the perfect combination. Experience, yet understands what's going on today and really how to make you some money. He's really big into retirement planning, also financial life coaching. He's going to give you a free consultation. Take advantage of it. Just tell him that you're part of the EGAT family, and David will give it to you for free. With that, he's going to help you understand your financial freedom number, maybe some things you could be doing differently to not only build your wealth but also achieve financial freedom faster. He's incredibly sharp. He's a hard worker. He knows the industry. He's actually seen the industry from every side. That's another thing I like. Bill Belichick coached almost every position. Understand where people are coming from, and he's going to help you uh, save some money and make some money. It's David McClellan, 312-933-8823, 312-933-8823, or McClellan at forumfinfin.com. What do you want to wrap up here with, uh, buddy? What, what are you thinking here? Final thoughts? I mean, that – that was a nut punch. That's the toughest OU loss in my life. And I look, I mean, with the blowout, 65-13, 63-14, some really tight ones, including 30-27 in 1996, the first year of overtime. They led 21 nothing in 95, ended up tying, I think, 24-24. So there have been some really, really tough ones, but – I just felt like we had it, and so many things had to go right for OU, and they did. Yeah, I'm reliving it. I'm I've sorry. I've got a thousand yard stare right now as I know. you went through it. I, I can, <laughs> you know what? Not many times you can hear a stare, and I think all of us could. I mean, I didn't. Uh, I didn't think you cut out. I knew I just kind of set you back into a bad moment. Well, what I will say is this: we love bringing the show to you. We the worm will turn and we are going to have our moment in the sun. In the meanwhile, let's all uh, have some fun. Try to keep it light. Support our fantastic sponsors and support me and Kevin. If you want to, wherever you listen to this podcast, preferably iTunes, go rate, review and subscribe. If you just download this episode every week, uh, hey, we appreciate you, but it means a lot more to us and a lot more to Apple's inscrutable algorithms. You subscribe. It really helps us and helps us understand the span of our listenership. So if you like what we're bringing you for free, hey, support us and help yourself by supporting our awesome sponsors. Welcome, y'all.